Well, good morning, Kingsway. Hey, we are so excited that you decided to spend part of your weekend here with us. My name is Rhett Morehouse, the worship pastor here on staff. Uh, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, that's where we're going to be hanging out here this morning. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that we've been in this series called The Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And Todd did a great job the first couple weeks. Week one, he talked about how God uses stuff in our lives to prune us and to shape us to become more like him. And then last week, he talked about this idea of forgiveness and that forgiveness isn't an instant change. It's not an instant fix, but it's a process. And that's what this sermon series is all about. This sermon series is saying, let's have an introspective look on our own lives and say, God, what does this hard saying mean for me? And we know that it's going to be difficult we know that it's going to be a process, but we also know that it is going to be worth it for us when we really take these to heart. And um, As people who are teaching through this series, I know these teachers, I know their hearts, and, and they are solid. They are for you guys. They want to do this, to do it together as a church and to set us up to grow like Jesus and to become closer, become more like him. Um, and the good thing is for you is that you only have to listen to it for about 35 minutes today. And we've been wrestling with this stuff for like six or seven weeks, and God has just been wrecking our hearts with it. Um, so we don't do this flippantly. We don't do this lightheartedly. We do this because we want to see all of us grow together. Um, so with that, let's jump into Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus said this parable. He said, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Other translations say, Jesus told this to those who trusted in their own righteousness and looked down on others. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank God that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income, but the tax collector stood at a distance, and he dared not even to lift his eyes to heavens as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, before we dive into this text and the hard thing that Jesus has for us this morning, I want to give you a little background about who the Pharisees were and what they were all about. I see these guys were the religious elite of their time. These are the ones that were seen as the example of God to the masses, and they followed all the standards of the law of God. But then above and beyond that, they made up their own standards and own rules to follow God. And um, so these were the guys you could say are the overachievers, the ones that are going for extra credit. So the law required that you fast on the Day of Atonement. And as we just read here, these guys were doing it twice a week. So these are the people that were in church every single day and twice on Sundays, right? So now it's not all bad. These standards and what they did, it wasn't all bad in and of themselves. But the issue comes in is when they use this standard to measure up everyone else around them. And they put it on someone else and they say, well, he's not up to my standard of righteousness or not up to my standard of what religion should look like. Uh, you know, for the Pharisees, if someone wasn't doing all the things that they were doing, and even amongst themselves they argued over that, that they would think that that person is probably less spiritual, less committed to God, and, and from that, less important. See, for the Pharisees, it was this issue of the pride of comparing and contrasting between other people. And, 
And that's what I want us to keep in mind this morning as we unpack this text and what it means for us. Now, if you've been around church for a short while and you know about the Pharisees, you know that these were the bad guys of the Bible, right? These are the guys that no one liked, no one wanted to be like. So to call someone a Pharisee in today's terms would be like calling them, ah, that person's just being legalistic, they're being a little bit uptight, they're a spiritual prude. It's not a good thing to be identified with the Pharisees. But I want to encourage us today that before we go lamb-blasting the Pharisees, that, that we need to remember that this series is called The Things That I Wish Jesus Never Said. It's not about others, but it's about us, and that, and that we might not be as different from the Pharisees as we might think. You know, for, for us, they, they wanted to, or for the Pharisees, they had good intentions. They wanted to work hard. They wanted to follow God to the best of their abilities, and they wanted to be an example to the people. That sounds a lot like what we're called to do today and what we want to do today. So I know you're probably thinking, wait, wait a minute, Rhett. So you're telling me that someone can try to follow after God but miss him? They can try to follow after God but miss the point? And what I'm saying is yes. That's why Jesus calls out the Pharisees here in this text, and it's not the only time that he calls out the Pharisees. See, there's people that have done miracles in Jesus' name. There's people that have cast out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus said to him, but you never knew me, and I never knew you. We never had that relationship. See, they had missed it. And, and you see, the Pharisees in this story were so busy looking around at everyone else and seeing, does this person have as much skin in the game as I have in the game? That they never took the time to look up to God and say, God, what do you want from me, and what do you want for me? And in their pride, these Pharisees lost focus of what truly mattered. And this is where it hits home for us, because we can be following hard after the things of God, but miss the true joy and miss the life and miss the love that he offers us. So what I want you to kind of be rolling around in your head this morning are two things from this passage. The first thing is that we might not be as different from the Pharisees as we think. And the second one is this. That it's not how you follow God, but your approach to others that makes all the difference. It's not how you follow God, but your approach to others that makes all the difference. You see, as we said, the Pharisees had good intentions. They wanted not just to follow God, but they set up extra standards, not just for the fun of it, but to keep themselves away from the line of sin. Said, if this is a line, we're going to stand way over here and keep us away from it, keep the flock away from it. But if someone wasn't following the standards that they set up, or if someone wasn't following the way that they thought the religion should look like, then they didn't think that they could probably be as committed to God. Or if someone wasn't following the way that their relationship with God looked like, then they almost thought that it might not be from God. And they even said this about Jesus as he came. He ran into this thinking with the Pharisees. He did something in a unique way. He did it in a new way. And Jesus, Matthew 12, runs into this thinking head on, talking about the Sabbath. And he says, verse 1, about that time Jesus was walking through some grains of field on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. So for the Pharisees, you didn't work at all on the Sabbath. You didn't lift a finger. Verse 3, Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. Or haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? 
Verse 6, I tell you, there's one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent people if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now surprisingly, we still struggle with this idea of of the Sabbath day 2,000 years later. and, And yet we think, you know, I could never be like a Pharisee. You know, I can never miss the point. I can never be so short-sighted to not see what you're doing, God. But do you see the connection that Jesus makes between Matthew 12 and 18? It's this idea of sacrifice versus mercy. See, the Pharisee in, in Luke 18 was bringing his sacrifices to God. I fast, I tithe. And the, fer- or, and the tax collector was doing the same thing. He was still bringing his sacrifices to God. He was making an effort with God and going to the temple and praying But the difference was he didn't rely on that sacrifice to justify him before God. He relied solely on the mercy of God. So neither sacrifice in the stories were bad, but it was the demeanor of the approach of the sacrifice that made the difference. And and today it's not just a, a Sabbath day or a day of the week that we struggle with in Christianity or in life. It's dress code. This mindset can creep into how people dress, what people should or shouldn't wear to church on Sunday or should or shouldn't wear outside of church. The mindset creeps into what we should eat or what we should drink or what we shouldn't drink. It creeps into what cars we should drive and what that means for our generosity. And the same mindset creeps into how we worship God and the different styles of worship. See, my wife and I are from Lafayette and West Lafayette. We went to Purdue for our undergrad and I had something in here. I was hoping that I wouldn't have to look down on anyone for the Boilers being in the championship today, but they blew it like usual, so you can look down on us. It's, it's normal. Um, but when I was in grad school, uh, I would go back to Purdue. I would go back uh, to Lafayette and visit family, visit friends, visit my wife, and she says it was because I was just using her for her food court passes, but, and I was, but I was being a good steward of the Lord that knew it was going to go to waste. I had to get it, but I remember one time when I was back, some friends and I went out to grab some food, and the food area up on uh, Chauncey Hill is right next to the bars, and I remember seeing people, and they were a group of believers, but they had these picket signs standing out by the bars. Now, you can imagine that these signs probably didn't have very many friendly sayings towards the people at the bars, so I, I went up to these guys, and I said, well, I'm going to talk to these guys and see how this is going for them. So I approached him and I said, hey, how's it going? Is this really working? And I think I said something along the lines of, you know, the word of God says we're not supposed to judge those who are outside of the family of God because they don't claim to follow this. And I remember it clear as day, he said this to me. He goes, well, what translation of the Bible do you use? I thought, all right, well, this is the translation. And here's his response when I told him his translation. He said, well, if it's not the King James, then it's corrupted. And I, I thought to myself, man, one, we're arguing over Bible translations, but from my studies, I'd know that, well, the King James Bible is actually only the seventh most accurate translation we have today from the Greek manuscripts. But to this guy, in his mind, that was the standard that he had. The only true God's word was this version of the Bible, and it wasn't even the most accurate one. But we do that all the time in Christianity, don't we? We do that all the time when we are led to certain standards or we are led to maybe preferences that we have or maybe we have preferences that were, came down from people who mentored us or taught us previously at another church. And what we do is we say that, well, this has to be the only way that God can get things done. This has to be the only way that Jesus is truly going to move. 
and then we hold it up as a standard of how everyone else should follow God. And what we're doing when we do this is we're putting ourselves in the place of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 when we put our standards and our preferences as the gospel standard and as the true standard. So I want to use a couple personal examples this morning. Um, and, and please know that these are uh, opinions and preferences that I have been led to. Uh, they aren't the gospel standard. These are what I feel led to. But when I was a young adult pastor at another church, we would take a trip to Nicaragua every year. Um, so we would take young adults down to Nicaragua. And if you've ever been to Latin America, if you've been out of the country uh, anywhere, you know that there are not only cultural differences, but there are major cultural differences within the church and within Christianity. And one thing you'll learn if you go to Nicaragua is that tattoos and piercings are not viewed very highly there. So, so I get there, and when you have a tattoo and a piercing, they think that either you are in a gang, either you've been in prison, and you can even be yelled at because you're the one that is messing up their society and making it bad and making their country bad. So you can imagine their surprise when my group said, well, actually, this guy's our pastor. You know, so they were, that doesn't make sense. So what they would say, they'd say stuff along the lines of, oh, so you were bad or you were in prison, but God changed your heart. And I'm like, well, metaphorically, I guess I was in prison, but not, yeah, that's about right. Um, but, but this is an area that, and, and, and I, I say this, this is an area that I've had to struggle with my own pride and preferences on. And I've had conversations with well-intentioned people who disagree with me on this topic but what breaks my heart when we do this as Christians is that the conversations that I've had haven't seemed to come from a place of, hey, let's talk about this and let's work through this together, but more out of a place of, hey, let me share my opinion and let me shame you for not holding the same opinion that I have. And, you know, we might not yell at people from across the street like they would in Latin America, but we whisper to the person next to us sometimes, don't we? And we say, hey, can you believe that she did this? Can you believe what they're wearing there? Can you believe that they call themselves a Christian and they do X, Y, Z? Because it's different than our standards. So what I would do with these uh, Nicaraguans is I would say, all right, well, let's, let's see what God's word says about this. Because I knew what verse they were talking about, Leviticus 19, verse 28. So I'd say, let's open it up and let's see what it says. So verse 28 says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. So I said, well, this is a good thing. So I didn't give myself these tattoos. Someone else did, so I think I'm in the clear here, right? <laughs> no, that didn't. No, I'm totally joking, totally joking about that. Um, yeah, that's called justifying sin. Um, but what I would say, and I would say, well, let's, let's take a look at the whole context. Let's not proof text. Let's see what are the verses before it say. And verse 26 says this right before it. It says, you shall not eat any flesh with blood in it. Verse 27, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. And then in verse 19, earlier in the chapter, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. So now everyone's changing their lunch plans. They're not going to get that medium rare at Texas Roadhouse. Hey, honey, cancel my hair appointment on Tuesday. And uh, hey, can you check the tag on my shirt that says 60% cotton, 30% polyester, and 10% sinning for breaking the Old Testament law. And that's... Now... Now, I say all this, you know, jokingly, but here's, what I, here's where I land on this stuff. Here's what I believe, is that I believe that when Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law and to fulfill its standards and to set you free, that he actually meant it and that he actually did it. 
And I believe that when he says that there is something greater here than the law, something greater here than the temple, that he means his spirit. That's what he's talking about. It's him. It's his spirit. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians where he says that the law and the letter kill, but the spirit gives life. And then he goes on in Galatians, and he talks about this in chapter 5, where he says this in verse 1 through 4. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey everything regulation and the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the whole law, then you've been cut off from Christ, you've fallen away from God's grace. And essentially what he's saying that if the law is your standard, then you've fallen away from grace. You've been cut off from Christ. You're no longer in Christ, but you're under the law. And when you come to the end of your life, If you're not under his grace but under the law, it's going to be a rough day. Because he says if you break just one, you have to keep the whole thing. And just by wearing two, a clothing that's woven of two materials, I would probably assume that most of us in here have broken it already. Now, does Christ give us freedom from the law? Yes. But does that give me the right to disregard or look down on others who differ on my opinion? And I would say, no, not at all. So when I would go to Nicaragua, I would wear long sleeves as best as I could. I would take out my earrings to honor them and to love them and to respect them. And you see, and that's where the approach to others comes in. That's where the approach to others comes in. Uh, Another thing that was different in Nicaragua was their worship. Um, So it's a different style, but also they speak Spanish in Nicaragua. So it was also a completely different language. So you can imagine the difficulty that young adults from central Indiana had following their worship services. So, you know, we're saying, all right, what's happening now? Do we sit down? Do we stand? Is it done? What's going to happen next in the service? And for me, I do worship at a church here in the United States. And what would it look like? I was going to ask you, if I went down to these services, hey, hold on, time out, time out, guys. Hey, you're doing it all wrong. Trust me, I do this for a living. I've done this before. You need to sing this type of song. Service needs to go in this order. And uh, hey, can you change it to English, actually, because we're trying to connect with God here? <laughs> now, does that sound like I'm really trying to worship God or more like I'm trying to worship my own standards and my own preferences? So I think Jesus would be rolling over in his grave if he was still in it. Get it? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's my one bad pastor joke for the day. So don't worry, I got more coming. So, but but I think Jesus would be like, "Hey, Rhett, come here. I need to tell you something. Hey, uh, the connection issue is not between their worship and me. They seem to be doing all right, but it's between you and me, and your worship of me. Yeesh, that hurts." Now, our preference is a bad thing. I would say, no, not at all. We all have them. We all connect with God through different avenues. We all connect with God through different types of preaching, different types of teaching, different types of reading, different styles of worship, different types of songs. So they're not a bad thing, but they become a bad thing when they become the standard of how everyone else should worship God. So I believe that another way we say this is is when we believe that We say that their religion has to look like my how. Their relationship with Jesus has to look like my relationship with Jesus. 
you know, and as your worship pastor here, I get the, the amazing opportunity to sing with you guys, to, to sing songs and to lead worship with you guys every week. And I also get the blessing of hearing all of the different preferences that come in each and every week. I'm just joking. So we don't get a whole lot, but, but you can imagine 2,000 adults coming that are all wired different, have different life experiences. We all have different preferences coming into this place on a Sunday. You know, and we all have to figure that out. And one of my favorite preferences came in uh, a few weeks ago. And I'll preface this by saying that, once again, preferences are not at all bad. But my wife, for example, uh, she made a very clear preference to me a few Sundays ago after a worship service. Um, so a couple months ago, we introduced this new song that the band just led today, What a Beautiful Name. And I love this song, powerful lyrics. So the first week we do it as a full band, uh, I had a couple female vocalists leading it out, and they just knocked it out of the park. I mean, they, they, they just made it awesome. So I was like, that's awesome. So I'm slotted to lead it the next week. So I changed the song to a male-led key so that it's more comfortable in my range and so I can carry the melody. And so I get home from that service the second week, and I'm like asking my wife, man, how was service? Was that a new song? Wasn't that just awesome? And, and she says something along the lines of this. She says, yeah, it was good, but your voice was really loud and out front on that new song. She said, last week you could really hear the, the females leading out and it just sounded bigger and, and fuller and just a little bit better. That, uh, and that's not even the worst of it. She went, kept going. So, so I proceeded to tell her, well, well, actually, honey dear, and I'm sure I use those words, uh, <laughs> I was the one leading the song this week, so it was actually in a male key, and I was carrying the melody so that the congregation can sing, and the females were doing harmony this week. Now, anyone who's normal and doesn't want to hurt someone's feelings would just say, oh, okay, and kind of leave it at that. Not my wife. <laughs> she, then, and men, this is a side note. If you have a woman in your life, then I believe that God has put her there as another voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, lucky, lucky for me, I got the straightforward and comedic side of that voice from God. So, so this is what she says. So, she says, yeah, you should just have the females lead that song. <laughs> so, and so I'm thinking, all right. And, and what makes this even more funny is I ask her on Friday, hey, I'm going to use this story in my sermon. Is it all right if I use this? She goes, oh, yeah, I remember saying that. Yeah, I thought you were singing a totally different song that second week. And I'm like... <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, so I, I said I love you and then died a little bit on the inside. But, um, but that's a preference, right? I mean, it wasn't wrong that I was singing the song in a male key, just worse than some people's opinions. Um, but the fights over worship and the fights over how to worship God are nothing new. This is something that's happened since the Garden of Eden. The first story out of the Garden of Eden was a fight over how to worship God. Cain and Abel, if you know the story, and it didn't end well for them. But no matter what side you fall on on these topics, what side you fall on on your preferences, I know that it creates a tension inside of us. It creates a tension inside of me when I read this. And when people have different preferences or different opinions, and we say, all right, God, what do you want us to do as a family and as a church about these preferences? And I think Paul addresses them pretty clearly in Romans chapter 14. So you can go ahead and turn there, or the verses will be on the screen for you. In Romans 14, Paul says this, he says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and do not argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. 
And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. For who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. So he's talking about the Sabbath again and holy days. He said, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. For those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat food also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. In verse 10, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause your, another believer to stumble or fall. For if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you as well. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And this is where the Pharisee in Luke 18 got it wrong. So he was taking his personal standards, he was taking what he thought his relationship with God should look like, and he was projecting it on the tax collector. And his personal standards weren't wrong, as we said, but only when they became the standard for everyone else. So in verse 12, Paul says that we will give a personal account. And I underline that because we all have personal convictions and personal preferences, but I want us to hear this this morning, that personal convictions are just that. They're personal. They're not for anybody else. If God has put something on your heart, then he's nudging you to wrestle with that, not wrestle with other people. But I want to be clear that what Paul says in verse 1, what's right or wrong, other translations say what's opinions or what's disputable matters. Paul's not talking in this chapter about what is sin and what isn't sin. Sin is still sin and sin is still wrong, but he's talking about disputable matters, preferences. So what he's saying, what we see in Romans 14 is that these matters aren't matters of sin because both people are trying to follow God. Both people are trying to please God. But we miss the point when we judge others and we say that their relationship with God doesn't look like my relationship with God or the how of their religion isn't the same as how I'm following Jesus. And the word condemn here he uses is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 7. It's the Greek word krino when Jesus said, do not judge or do not condemn or you too will be judged. And this word means to condemn, to damn, to punish, or even to separate and divide. And I love what Matt, Matt said uh, a few months ago where he said that we don't look at the speck of sawdust in our brother's eye when we have a giant redwood coming out of our own. We take care of our own first, and then we can lovingly do it. See, we're not called to judge others. We're not called to condemn others. God didn't give us his Holy Spirit in order to look down on others. So I love what Oswald Chambers says about discernment. And discernment is uh, the insight or the ability that God gives someone to see where someone's at, to see their heart, to see sins that they might be going through, to see what they're struggling with. He says, this is why God gives us discernment. It says, God never gives us discernment that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. He doesn't give you insight into someone else's life and their junk and their sin that you may criticize and look down, but 
that you can pray for them, love them, and come alongside them and intercede. You step in the gap for them. So whether it's eating or not eating, drinking but not getting drunk or not drinking, wearing jeans and a t-shirt or wearing a three-piece suit, on both sides of the relationship, I should neither look down on others because they have a different opinion or hold in contempt those who have a different opinion than me. All is acceptable to God if they're trying to follow God and it's not sin. Do you see what Paul's doing here in this chapter? He's calling us to a mutual respect, a mutual honoring, a mutual love that doesn't use our freedom to look down on others, but instead uses our freedom in Christ to build others up, to keep the harmony, to fight for unity, not fight with each other. You see, we all can fall into the temptation of being dangerously close to being the Pharisee that is comparing and condemning. So for someone who sees themselves as the standard, that what other people do for Jesus or their relationship with Jesus, if it doesn't fall within their line of how religion should look, it's never good enough for them. If you struggle with that, then that might be one warning sign that you're becoming a modern-day Pharisee. We have to guard against this. We have to protect against this. Another trap is when we're never satisfied with what other people's relationship with Jesus looks like. We think they need to be doing more, or something else is when we can't admit that, you know what, my way might not be the only way. Or heaven forbid, I might have it wrong. I might be still in process myself in figuring out how this looks for me and for everyone else. You see, the Pharisee in Luke 18 said that he was thankful for not being a sinner in areas that were sin, not preferences. So cheating, stealing, adultery. And the tax collector was then judged and condemned by the Pharisee for stuff that was a preference, for not fasting twice a week, not being good enough in his eyes. See, the tax collector probably wasn't doing that sin either. He might not have been stealing or cheating, but because he wasn't doing it exactly how the Pharisee was, it wasn't good enough in his eyes. So what does that mean for us today? Where, is that, where do we land with this? And this is where we land, is that we are not the standard. That we are not the standard. It doesn't matter how good you've been over the last two months, how good you've been over the last two years, how little you've sinned over the last two decades. You are not the standard. I am not the standard. There is one standard, and his name is Jesus. Amen? We believe that, church. There is one standard. And what we have to do is we can't set up expectations. We can't set up preferences that are harder or maybe even contrary to the standards that Jesus has already set up and that he has already fulfilled for us. You know, remember the story at the top, the Pharisee was trusting in his own righteousness, his own standards. And because of that, he was looking down on others. So we have to avoid looking down on others. And you avoid looking down on others by fixing your eyes on Jesus. You avoid looking down on others by fixing your eyes on Jesus. And it takes a constant recalibration, a constant refocus. But when you do this, when you do this, church, you will see others the way that God sees them and the way that he sees you. A sinner who is loved and is Jesus gave everything for and covered by his grace and grace alone. 
For those who are here this morning who have been following God for 50 years, for those who are here this morning who have been sitting just in church for the first time for 50 minutes, and for those who are here that want nothing to do with Jesus, you're like, I was dragged here. I don't even know who this guy is. I don't know if I believe it. What I want you to hear is this, is that we all need Jesus the same. We all need Jesus the same. God changed my life. He fixed stuff in my life, and there's still a work in progress but I still need Jesus just as much today as I needed him 14 years ago when he did that. So church, church, I want to call us to be a people who don't look down on others. But instead, we love this community the way that God has loved us. We love others, Christians and non-Christians, the way that God has loved us. Because we can trust that he will change them. We can trust that he's going to move them to where they need to be because he is the standard Hear this, I don't want us to destroy the chance for someone to come to know Jesus just because we have a different preference or different standards. Do not let your preferences destroy that chance for someone. Do not let your preferences and your standards destroy unity within the church, but instead work for harmony, fight for harmony, don't fight for each other. And most importantly, do not let your preferences Throw out the very grace that got you in in the first place. Don't let it throw out the grace that got you in in the first place. Because we all need it. We all, we all need it. So what I want to do now is we're going to go into this time of communion and I want to ask the servers to to go back and, and get ready and this is a weekly reminder that we get of our need for Jesus, and also for the love that he fulfills. And wherever you're at today, I know that these preferences, I'm not looking to change your preferences or change your opinions, but I'm looking to change our perspectives and to see Jesus as a standard. And when we do that, everything else will change. So as we take communion today, I want to invite you to say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for reminding me of my need for you and fulfilling that need and for being the standard. And when we're done with communion, you can put your cup in the seat back in front of you. There's a little holder there for you. And then we're going to go into a time of worship and we're going to give back to our God. We're going to give our offering and we're going to give back our praises to our God. And we're going to sing our need for him. So let me pray for us and we'll go into communion and we'll worship together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word God, we know that, that we aren't the standard. And we know that there is no way that we could ever reach the standard, but instead you reached down to us, God. Instead you became the standard and in your holiness and your heart for us and your love for us, you became broken so that we can know you, so that we can be made righteous in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we all have different preferences, that we can lay those aside for the sake of unity, for the sake of people seeing us as loving one another and saying, I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of what you're doing, God. Thank you for your body and your blood broken for us. Thank you that we can see our needs and that you fulfilled it, Lord. Thank you for your truth today. Let it be an encouragement that 
We don't always have to have it all figured out, but we just have to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go and take communion on your own this morning.